0: Reading from Judges, chapter 6. Now all the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples joined forces and crossed over the Jordan and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Then the Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Ebezrites to follow him. He sent messengers throughout Manasseh, calling them to arms, also into Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, so that they too went up to meet them. Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. That is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece, but this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Early in the morning... Jerob Baal, that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me, saying, My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while 10,000 remained. But the Lord said to Gideon, There are still too many men. Take them down to the water, and I will thin them out for you there. If I say, This one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say, This one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. Three hundred of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. Last week we uh, started the story of Gideon, and Gideon is about uh, 1175 B.C., Uh, that time between uh, Moses bringing Israel into the land and their first king, King Saul, in about uh, 1050 uh, B.C. And uh, in this time, uh, the children of Israel, there's no central government. There's no government whatsoever. So kind of a lot of mayhem takes place. And uh, the children of Israel, the Israelites, uh, constantly leave God and begin to worship idols of the the nations around them. And uh, they do it time and time again. And uh, so then God gives them oppression and he gives them hard times. And sure enough, they then come back and they cry out to the Lord, please help us, Uh, we don't know what to do. And so then God sends a deliverer, a savior, who then saves them. And uh, then they have a period of peace. And this cycle repeats throughout the book a number of times. And within the book, there are six major judges. And we have looked at Othniel, and we've looked at Barak and Deborah, and uh, now we're on to Gideon. Actually, we looked at Ehud, too. We've gone three. Now we're on to Gideon. Gideon has one of the longest storylines in the book, And uh, Gideon is not a perfect man of God. And uh, we saw that last week. Uh, Last week, this is what we saw. An angel appeared to Gideon. And Gideon is threshing wheat at the winepress. And he's threshing wheat at the winepress because he's afraid. And so he's threshing his wheat where the enemies won't look for him. And while he's threshing the wheat at the wine press, the angel of the Lord shows up and says, "O oh, mighty man of valor, mighty warrior. And uh, Gideon kind of goes, Who me? <laughs> the, the angel said, God is with you. And Gideon said, If God is with us, Why are we having these kind of problems? Why are we having uh, persecution and troubles? And he said, "What I want you to do is go in the strength you have and save Israel." Gideon says this. He doesn't. Well, it's not what he says in the text. He says, "He says, prove yourself. Show me." that you really are who you say you are. So Gideon goes and he prepares a sacrifice, a whole burnt offering, and he puts the whole burnt offering there on the wood and he pours the broth on top of it and the angel of the Lord touches his staff to the sacrifice and it goes up in flames and the angel disappears. Gideon knows I've seen God and he's afraid he's afraid that he's going to die God says to him you're not going to die I want you to go and save my people first go and tear down the altar to Baal at your father's house tear down the Asherah pole Gideon goes to do that but he's afraid so he does it at nighttime. <laughs> he tears down the altar. He takes uh, the Asherah pole. He cuts it up into little pieces. And then he takes the wood and he builds a sacrifice there to God. The townspeople wake up in the morning. The altar to Baal's destroyed. The Asherah pole is destroyed. They said, Who's done this? They find out it's Gideon. So they say, Let's kill Gideon. It's kind of funny. It's funny because these are the people who are supposed to worship God. And yet they want to kill Gideon because he's destroyed an altar to Baal. That's how far they've sunken. It's not, hey, let's make him pay for it. Let's make him rebuild the altar. It's, no, let's kill him. He's destroyed our idol. Gideon's father says... What are you doing? You don't have to defend Baal. Let Baal fight his own battles. And so Gideon became known as Jerob Baal. You saw that beginning of the chapter 7 that we just read. Jerob Baal, let Baal contend. Or let Baal defend. Let Baal take care of himself. And so they did not kill Gideon. That's what we learned last week. So now, what I think should happen. God has said, go in the strength you have and save Israel. What I think should happen is Gideon should go and he should get out his sword and he should say, let's go get him. That's what should happen, right? I'm asking you. Yes. (laughs) Go in the strength you have and save Israel. I'll be with you. That was God's promise. Go and do it. And now we come to the famous fleece story. Uh, It's in your bulletin, and uh, let me point out some things. Uh, First of all, verse 34. The Spirit of the Lord came on Gideon, and he blew a trumpet, summoning the Abiezrites to follow him. Very strange expression. The, The literal Hebrew says... The spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon, almost like he was putting on clothes. And God's spirit and God's power came, and there it was on Gideon, so that when he blew the trumpet, all of the townspeople who wanted to kill him, they're now following him. That's the spirit of God. And then when he sends messengers to the other tribes, to Naphtali, Zebulun, and Asher, they're ready to go. They're coming. Everything's ready. All he has to do is go. But Gideon's still not sure. Verse 36. Notice Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised. Stop right there. If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised he knows God has said it God has told him I'm going, to save it. I'm going to save Israel and I'm going to use you to do it he should just go he should just go but he needs to use a fleece why? because Gideon is a weak tool just like you and just like me, <laughs> he's not perfect. <laughs> he's not brave, and he's not even faithful to God that much. If he was, he'd already be he'd already be fighting. He's make, he's making God prove Himself. Verse thirty six: If you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, so you know God has said He's going to save Israel, and God has said He's going to do it with your hand. Just go. Notice verse 37. Look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. A test for God. If there's dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, I will know that you will save Israel by my hand. As you said, that's what happened. He got up in the morning, he went up, and he picked up the fleece. Wow, the fleece is wet and the ground is dry. He even squeezed it, and he wrung out water. So the next verse should say, Gideon went. No. Verse 39, Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. When I was translating this myself, I'm going to read you my translation. I started laughing. Here's my translation. Gideon said to God, verse 39, Gideon said to God, don't be angry with me, and I will speak once. I will test only this once with the fleece. And I started laughing. I go, Gideon, this is already number two. (laughs) What do you mean you're just going to test him once? Like, really, you're on test number three. The first test was the sacrifice, and then it burned up, and then the second test was the fleece. Now you're actually on test number three. Come on, Gideon. Um, I think you know that uh, within the the history of Christianity, uh, many people have used this passage as proof that they should put fleeces out. Please don't do that. Gideon should not have used any fleece. He is testing the known will of God. God's told him what to do. He should have just done it. Uh, He did not need to use a fleece. Uh, I've heard preachers say this. It used to be that people would open their, their Bibles. This used to happen a lot. People would just open their Bible and put their finger down on the page, and whatever the verse said, that would be their direction for the day. Uh, Not funny. A lot of people used to do that. So one person was trying it, and he closed his eyes, he opened his Bible, and he put his finger on a verse. The verse was this. Judas went out and hanged himself. (laughs) And he thought, that can't be God's will for me so he tried it again and he opened the Bible and he put his finger down and it said go thou thou and do likewise he figured that can't be right so he tried it again and this time he tried it again what thou doest do quickly funny but not so funny John Wesley John Wesley started the Methodist Church um, and uh, sometimes the denominations today are called Wesleyan or Methodists. In Canada, the Methodist Church largely have joined, has joined with the United Church. But uh, a large church around the world. And when Wesley was 32 years old, he was a missionary in Georgia. And uh, he was single. And he fell in love with a woman. And so he wanted to know if he should marry her. And uh, the problem was he belonged to a club, the Holy Club, that believed that the members should stay single. So he didn't know what to do. So he decided that what they would do is they would draw lots for it, whether he should marry. So he took out three sheets of paper, and on one he wrote, marry. And a second one he wrote, think not of it this year. And then on the third one, he wrote, think of it no more. His friend closed his eyes, put his hand in the hat, pulled out a slip of paper. Think of it no more. So he ended the courtship. He returned to England. A few years later, as a single man, he fell in love with another woman. Her name was Grace Murray. She was a widow and a Bible class teacher. This time he tried a different approach to find out God's will. Instead of putting uh, slips of paper into a hat, he used a pro and con list. Here are the things I'm looking for. Here are the things that would turn me away. And as he went through the pro and con list, he finally decided it was pro. And so he told his brother Charles, the famous hymn writer, that they were going to be married. When Charles heard the news, he was upset. Jumped on a horse, galloped over to the woman's house, and said, Grace, you've broken my heart. Then he fainted at her feet. She was shaken so badly, she, she quickly married another man. Strike two. A year and a half later, John Wesley decided to try it again. He's 47. He met a a wealthy widow named Mary. And I don't know what Charles had to say. He married her. It was a disaster. Turned out to be a very unhappy marriage. And 20 years after the marriage, she left him. Um, How to find out the will of God is not by putting out fleeces. I don't think the Bible writer gives you this to go, here's the method for you to make major decisions in your life. He's trying to show you there's a problem with Gideon. The man is weak. uh, He is not courageous. And God has to do all kinds of things to get him to do what God wants him to do. Here's what Hebrews 11 says. He says, Hebrews 11, as he summarizes summarizes those those great heroes of faith, he says this, What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, shut the mouths of lions, quench the fury of the flames, and escape the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength. That's the key. These great men of faith, their weakness was turned to strength. He's showing you, here's Gideon's weakness. This is not someone that God can't use. This is someone that God can use. And God can use you. God can use you in all of your weakness. And even if you're scared, he can use you. Uh, There are better ways to test for the unknown will of God than fleeces. Gideon's testing for the known will of God, but how would you you know the will of God? And I wrote down a number of things, I'm just going to go quickly. Number one, does it conform to God's known will? God's going to want you to do things where it's commitment to him, faithfulness to him, telling the truth. That's that's his known will. So what he wants you to do and the decisions you make in life, uh, sinfulness is never at the heart of it. Number two, am I being selfish or am I being loving in making the decision? Number three, have I thought about it? Have I prayed about it? Number five, have I sought wise counsel? God's God's given you a brain to use. And part of using your brain is asking other brains. Number six, do I need to make an immediate decision? I thought about why does God answer with the fleece if it's such a problem? Why does God even respond to Gideon? And I, the only answer I have for you, it's the grace of God. The grace of God. God shows us favor, and he shows us helpfulness, even when we don't deserve it. Even when we should be going, and for some reason we're not, he's gracious and patient, And he wants to help get us moving. Well, if you notice with me, verse 1. Rob's looking after the Sunday school today, Rob Crozier. And he was quite uh, concerned that I not go long today. (laughs) So I'm thinking of Rob. So unfortunately, we're not going to be able to finish the Gideon story today. But let me just at least get you into the beginning. Verse 1, chapter 7. It's in your text. Early in the morning, Jerob that is Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Herod. The Lord said to Gideon, verse 2, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. This is key to the whole story. This is the center theology for the Gideon story. And the central theology is this, is the glory belongs to the Lord. He's the hero of the story, not Gideon. God's the hero. And so he deliberately says, as he gathers his 32,000 men, you've got too many men. No general has ever said that. I was just watching the American Civil War, that documentary done by, uh, by Burns. And uh, one of the southern generals used to always say, get there first with the most men. That's how you win. Get there first with the most men. God's plan is get there second with the least amount of men possible. (laughs) That's not a battle strategy. (laughs) You're not going to win. But God says this is the way so that no one can say, we did it. I did it. My hand did it. My strength did it. Everyone will know only God could do it. Only he receives the glory. That's the key theology here. So you know the story that uh, he gathers his 32,000 men. God says, you've got too many. So say, whoever is afraid, go home. The good thing is Gideon didn't leave. If he was being honest, he would have left too. All of you who are afraid, go home. 22,000 men go home. Now he's down to 10,000. God says, we've got a problem. We still have too many men. So let's take them down to the water. And I'll thin them out for you. And as they drink, whoever goes down and puts their head in the water, he sends them home. And whoever scoops the water out with their hand, he keeps them. Three hundred. Now when I was a boy, and this sermon was preached in church, and I heard it a number of times in church, this was the point of the story. That as the soldiers went down That's terrible interpretation. (laughs) Horrible. My father preached that. He was wrong. (laughs) Don't tell him I said that. That's terrible. God's not going to win the battle because he's got good soldiers. He doesn't need good soldiers. He just needs a few. He needs 300. He's not looking for the best warriors. He's just looking for those who are going to be committed to him and are willing to go. That's what he needs. And they have to be few enough that they're not going to say, we won the battle because we were so good and we were so smart. The glory will be his. As a as a boy I used to run around the hillsides of the hillsides of Tennessee and I would come to the stream and I would I would always scoop it with my hand I wanted to be a good soldier That's not what God needs He needs somebody fully committed to him Here's some other passages that say the same thing The Apostle Paul 2 Corinthians 12 He says this, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away my thorn in the flesh. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses. Paul was sick. And the church was saying, he must not be a good minister and he must not be a good preacher. Look how sickly he is. If he was a great person of God, he wouldn't be sick. God would heal him. But Paul says, "No, I'm boasting in my weakness, cuz then the power is of, of it's of God." And so he boasted in insults, hardships, persecutions, and in difficulties when I'm weak, then I am strong. This is Psalm 96. And uh When you read in the Psalms and you see them praising the name of God, what that means is that's talking about God's renown, God's fame. God wants to be famous, and he wants to be known for what he has done, his renown. So when you see it talking about the name of God, it's talking about the fame of God so that God can be known for what he's done. Now, by, by the way, for us as Christians, that means we talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. Those are the great deeds of God for which he deserves to be known. Here's Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples, For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and glory are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord all you families of nations. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. God wants to be recognized for what he has done, and he has done great things. And he wants the fame for delivering Israel and saving Israel to be his not Gideon's Now you would think he has seen the offering go up in flame he has talked to an angel he has seen a fleece be dry he has seen a fleece be wet you would think he's ready to go he's not ready Come back next week and hear the end of the story.